Hello and welcome back to another episode of Bite Size Cinema. I'm your host RJ McCready and for this episode I'm going to be taking you guys back to the year in 1985 to look at the cult classic vampire movie Fright Night. So let's go and say hello to the new neighbour next door. Uh, let's go and play you guys a trailer and I will be back soon. What would you do if you accidentally discovered the house next door was occupied by something not human? Something horrifying. Something unspeakably evil. No one believes you. Mom, I didn't have a nightmare. Not your mom. They did kill a girl over there. Not your girlfriend. Charlie, is this some sort of a trick to get me back? Not even the police. Look, I know it's crazy, I know that, but look, Lieutenant! It knows that you know. You'll do anything to protect yourself. But it will do anything to protect its secret. This could be the night of your life. And welcome back guys. So the synopsis for this film is a teenager discovers that his neighbour is a vampire. So he turns to an actor in a television horror show for help dealing with the undead. It's got 106 minute runtime. it's an R-rated movie and it's classed as a horror thriller. Fright Night came out in the summer of 1985 and it did really well at the box office. It had a $9 million budget but it took in $25 million being one of the most successful horror movies in 1985 next to Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 Freddy's Revenge which came in at a very close second place that year. It was directed by Tom Holland and also written by Tom Holland and he is known for another film, another iconic film called Child's Play which came out a little bit later in 1988. And he also wrote the screenplay to Psycho 2 which is getting quite a bit of uh, attention from horror fans today that I've noticed and um, it's actually quite a good sequel um, when it comes to sequels, that's a pretty solid movie. But I'm not here to talk about Psycho 2, I won't segue into that but check it out, it's a great movie. So let's have a look at the cast of this movie. So it's starring Chris Sarandon, who plays Jerry Dandridge, and you could say that he's become some Tom Holland royalty because he um, turns up again in Child's Play as the police officer, and he does a pretty damn good job in that as the hero. Uh, William Ragsdale as Charlie Brewster, and again, he does a really good job as the antagonist in this, and um, he returns for the sequel back in well, 1988, I think. Uh, you've got Amanda Beers as Amy and I shall mention now Stephen Jeffries only because Amanda and Stephen were both in a film called Fraternity Vacation which came out in the same year together and again they both do a pretty good job in this film. Uh, Stephen Jeffries, I think he was already a known actor in the 80s prior to doing this film. Art Evans has a cameo role in this movie and I've mentioned him before in a previous episode he's in Trespass and he's also in Die Hard 2 as the 
ground controller. And Jonathan Stark, he plays Billy Cole. And he's also been in other horror movies. He was in a horror film called House 2. Um, which I think was probably another 1985 movie. I have to go and check that one out. But I've left the best till last. Good old Roddy McDowell is in this film. And he, he really blows it out of the water. As Peter Vincent, the great vampire killer. And he's iconic. And he's been in some cult classic films. And when it comes to sidekicks or wingman. He's the go-to guy, because when you look at the other films that he's been in, he's always played the sidekick, so he's Cornelius in Planet of the Apes. He plays the lovable robot in The Black Hole. He battles the villainous Terence Stamp in the very underrated movie The Thief of Baghdad. And he's also in the Poseidon adventure, trying to help Gene Hackman and the survivors try and get him off the ship. So yeah, he's the all go-to guy and he's also got an incredible voice I could listen to Roddy McDowell just read off a old recipe book or something like that and it probably just put me into a very nice state of calm or send me off into a nice deep sleep or something like that so there you go guys that is Roddy McDowell he's iconic and unfortunately to say it's the late Roddy McDowell I think he passed away a few years ago but he has left us a lovely legacy and I think it's about 260 ad acting credits on IMBD so there you go guys, that's um, to name some of the cast, and it's a pretty solid cast in this movie, and it is all part, a little part of the building block, because of all the other stuff I'm going to talk about now, which is the build-up of this movie, which is great. So let's talk about the production of Fright Night, and how it got greenlit, and all that sort of stuff, which you know I love, you know I love all this sort of stuff. So where do I start with Friday Night and the production? So let's start by saying that I do not know anybody that does not like this film. Um, unless they're not a horror fan, which is fair enough. So if you're not a horror fan, you're not going to like this anyway. But all the horror fans out there, people who love this sort of genre, love this movie. It is just, you mention Friday Night and you talk about either the film score, the actors or Roddy McDowell. And um, if I post this on, on the internet, on the page, it gets some you know great response and I think what makes this movie great and what gives it its main start for 10 putting aside the actual special effects the atmosphere the story the pace the music its start for 10 is the fact that Columbia Pictures actually gave Tom Holland a budget and they just left him to get on with the film so they he had a vision he's very excited about this vision he actually wrote the story himself because that's how he started out. He was a writer, he was a screenplay guy for um, Hollywood. And he wrote Fright Night. He was actually laughing and giggling whilst he was writing it because he loved the idea that a horror fan might think that there's actually a vampire living next door to him. So it's based on the story of the boy that cries wolf. And he went to the studio, he said to Columbia, um, who he's been writing for, he said, Look, I've got this story. And Columbia said, that's not a bad story, but because you've done all the writing for us, we'll give you, we'll give you a chance. Here's nine million bucks. Go and make this film. Now, nine million dollars is a lot of money, but it's actually very low budget, and this is actually one of the lowest budget films for Columbia Pictures. And Columbia Pictures never actually thought that this film would do well. They just thought, let's just give this guy a chance, let him make his film, and hopefully we'll just make our money back. And because Columbia Pictures never had any expectations of Tom Holland in this movie, they didn't even go and visit him on set, they never even observed it or had any interference at all, they just let him get on with it. And then to top that, 
A little movie called Ghostbusters had just been wrapped up and there was a special effects crew just sort of twiddling their thumbs thinking, right, what's the next project? What are we going to do next? They walked onto the set of Friday night and kind of said, well, do you want us to help you out? <laughs> Need I say more, guys, because when you watch the film, you can sort of see the rhythm of Ghostbusters special effects as kind of amalgamated into Fright Night. I'm not saying the same, but you can sort of see it's got that same sort of charm to it. And the effects artists had some models kicking around, which they didn't use for Ghostbusters being the um, end vampire scene to this movie. So when you've got the Jerry Dandridge bat that blows up, that was actually supposed to be the ghost used in the library, which um, I think it was Columbia Pictures again that did Ghostbusters. They didn't sign that off. They said that would be too scary for that film. So they've used it for Fright Night. So there's a little bit of a Ghostbusters amalgamation in this film as well. So with the story that Tom Holland wrote in three weeks put together, the special effects crew that's just come from Ghostbusters, uh, the set which is actually go on to go and be in the movie, one of my favourite movies, The Burbs, and then you've got the amazing soundtrack to this film, and it is cracking, it's a, it's a really good soundtrack. And that's worth talking about for a bit actually, because I think the soundtrack in this film is so, so well, how can I put it, it's... It just seems to hit the mark at all the right points. So what I'm saying is it, 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 it's totally 80s. There's some real cheesy, fun songs on there, particularly the, I think it's the Jill Giles band song, Fright Night, which is at the end of the film. And then you've got the, the, the music score where, say, like um, Charlie and Peter Vincent are walking towards a house, all smoke-filled, and you've kind of, you, it's almost like you've got that sort of horror vibe as they're walking towards, and it really sort of amalgamates that all together really well. And then you've got the nightclub scene, you've got that sort of cheesy song there. So all the songs go really well to all the scenes in this film, just at the right time. So you've got a real cheesy song, you've got a really dark song, you've got a real sort of slow burn song, and... Um, it's just very clever. It's it's really rare for me to actually say I like all the songs. The film, you know, there's some films you watch where you say, yeah, there's a really good song in that. All the other songs are a little bit, yeah, okay. But this one, all of them are good, and I'll compare that to uh, the Lost Boys. They do they do the same thing. Uh, the film called Crow. A lot of the Corman stuff does it. Um, but Fright Night, it really does it. It really punches it up there. So. Um, I mean, that's, again, I always use the word building block. This is just a part of it, you know. Um, a small part of the ingredient, but a vital part of the ingredient to make the film good, and it does that. And the other thing I'm going to mention here is when it comes to the mechanics of the film, um, one of the main mechanics here is actually the characters in the film, and Tom Holland got that right with the casting of the actors and everything. So you've got the Peter Vincent character, who I would say is the... He's the heart of the film. He's like the. There's a really good de development story of his character throughout the film, where he's kind of like the um, the lion out of the Wizard of Oz. He wants to be the hero, but he's scared. And as he develops through the film, he becomes a sort of badass. You know, right at the end of the movie, and he becomes a character he wanted to portray on TV as an actor. And then you've got Charlie Brewster, who I would say is like the engine to this film. He's the guy that is driving it forward. He's trying to make people believe that he's got a vampire next door. And he does it with a lot of conviction. You know, he's playing a teenager here, but he's trying to say, look, you know, he's a vampire. No one's believing me. And I think um, 
as an actor, he plays that really well. He's got that real conviction, and I'm sold every time. And then you've got Stephen Jeffries as Evil Ed. He's, you know, it's like a, almost like a show-stealing performance there. And he does a great job as, you know, like the best friend. He turns evil, and he brings a lot of comic relief to the film. And then you've got Jerry Dandridge, obviously, as the bad guy. And he's got, he carries a lot of charm as the vampire. It's almost like... He wants to be your friend, but he's going to kill you. But he's almost got like a little bit of sympathy for um, Charlie Brewster. And he's almost like playing with him. And he threw in a bit, few bits there where he said, you know, how about if I play a fruit bat? And that's where you got the bit with the apple. So he brought that in himself just to give, give a little bit more of an edge to the vampire story and all that, which is clever. And the trivia there with um, Chris Sarandon is actually he did not want to do this film. He didn't want to be in a horror movie. But then he read the script and he said, that's a pretty cool script, I'm liking this. And when he did the film, he really enjoyed it and he got on really well with Tom Holland. So, um, as a roundup, guys, um, as I've said with everything, the music, the actors, the special effects, the story, it runs at a really good pace. Um, even the artwork on the VHS is fantastic as well. It kind of draws you in. I remember seeing it in the video shop and I was like, wow what is that movie and then you've got the vampire i think it's amy with her when she's been turned into a vampire and you see her teeth you just think what is this film it looks amazing and still today it's got that real sort of vibe about it um and then of course as i mentioned at the beginning of the film guys this film was successful it was a big box office success um did really well in the summer of 1985 and that was a big surprise for Columbia Pictures they had no idea this film was going to be successful so Tom Holland we salute you as horror fans thank you very much for Fright Night <laughs> so there you go guys that's how Fright Night got there that's how that's how we you know us fans are now treated to this film forever it's a go-to film so let's talk about Fright Night let's do a bite-sized review on this movie so the film starts off by introducing you to our main protagonist, Charlie Brewster, who's a 17-year-old who's a fan of horror movies, and his favourite TV show is Fright Night, funny enough, hosted by Peter Vincent, the great vampire killer. And it soon becomes apparent to Charlie that his new, very charming next-door neighbour, Jerry Dandridge, is in actual fact a vampire, and he is responsible for a spell of murders in the area, which is... Um, Shown all over the news on TV. Charlie tries to convince his mum that these, uh, Jerry is a vampire and he tells his best friend Ed. But because Charlie is a horror fan, everybody thinks that it's just all in his imagination. He's just going on a prank here because his favourite TV show is Fright Night. And every night he watches these shows and they think that it's just, it's just playing on him. So in desperation, Charlie calls the authorities and Detective Lennox is assigned to go and investigate. And... He and Charlie go to Jerry Dandridge's house during the day, they knock on the door and they meet Betty Cole, who is like a footman for Jerry Dandridge and he allows them to walk around the house. And then whilst Charlie and the detective are walking around the house with Betty Cole investigating, Charlie just comes out and says, well the reason why we can't find Jerry Dandridge is because he's in a coffin in the basement and the detective goes, what are you talking about? What a load of old rubbish? And he says, right that's it, I've had enough of this, I'm leaving. And then the detective storms out of the house, he gets into the car and he says, You've watched too many horror films and if you call me again, I'm going to come and arrest you myself. And then he just drives off and then Charlie goes, oh damn, he goes, you got to believe me. 
And then as he looks up, Billy Cole's like looking out the window and then the sort of curtain just goes back again. And now Charlie is in trouble. And Charlie's troubles only get worse when he finds out that his mum has actually invited the new neighbour round. And she actually says, oh, he's such a charming guy. She said, I've invited him round and I said he can come round whenever he wants. And at this part of the movie, you find out that the rules of a vampire actually work because Jerry Dandridge wouldn't be able to come into the house unless he's invited, which kind of comes in handy later on, which I'll explain. So anyway, um, Charlie then gets a visit from Jerry Dandridge and he walks into his bedroom and he says, you've disturbed my sleep, Jerry, and I'm pretty upset about that. And he goes, I'm going to have to do something about this, Charlie, and he wants to kill him. But then... Charlie managed to repel Jerry Dandridge with a pencil and he puts it through his hand and then this is where you get Jerry turned into a bat for the first time and then he he leaves the premises and it's quite funny because then you get a phone call from Jerry Dandridge going talking to Charlie he goes I've just destroyed your car Charlie <laughs> but that's nothing compared to what I'm going to do to you <laughs> so with Jerry Dandridge now wanting to kill him no one's believing him, not even his girlfriend or his best friend, Evil Ed, or the authorities. He's just left with no choice. The only person that he can now go to is the great vampire hunter, Peter Vincent. So he goes to pay a visit to Peter Vincent at the film studio. And this is where Charlie says to Peter, look, you're the great vampire hunter, I need your help. He said, I've got a vampire living next door to me. And then um, Peter Vincent says, look, I'm just an actor. And he says, look, these are all props. Nothing's even real, kid, you know. Um, I can't help you out. He goes, Peter Vincent isn't really my name. And then he just gets into the car and then drives off. And then again, Charlie's done that scene again. The same thing with the detective. He goes, oh, Peter Vincent, you got to listen to me like this. And it just, it just doesn't go right for him. So he is now left on his own. So now Charlie has no choice but to hold himself up in his bedroom with candles, wooden stakes and crosses and garlic and everything and Amy, his girlfriend and his friend Ed, they pay him a visit and they say, what's going on Charlie? And Charlie says, well, I've got no choice. Jerry Dandridge is a vampire and I need to kill him before he gets me. And then he also mentions at this time that he's paid a visit to Peter Vincent. He says he's not going to help me either. So Amy and Ed concerned for Charlie's sanity they decided to go and see Peter Vincent and say look if we pay you some money how about we go and visit Jerry Dandridge and we try and resolve this and then you just pretend that you've you've worked out that he's not a vampire and we might be able to help this situation out so along with Peter Vincent and Charlie and his girlfriend and Ed they go and pay a visit to Jerry Dandridge and they go through a number of things which would kill a vampire such as holy water and a cross but it gets a bit funny about the cross and going through these trials Charlie then gets a little bit convinced and gets a little bit settled and Peter and his girlfriend come out and say well look you know I've gone through all these trials it must be all your imagination Charlie and then Peter drops his um glass mirror on the floor and it cracks and as he looks in the reflection he can't see the reflection of Jerry but then he closes it very quickly and goes right that's it we're all ready let's go okay see you later on and as he walks outside Charlie says to Peter he says you've seen something haven't you he goes Peter you need to tell me it's important 
And then Peter Vincent comes out and says, I didn't see a reflection on him. And then he gets in his car and he drives off. And then again, you've got another scene. It's like three times. Charlie's gone, Peter Vincent, you've got to help me. And then Jerry thinks it's all over. But then as he looks onto the floor, he sees a little shard of glass. And then that's when he realises that Peter now knows that he's a vampire. And then you've got Jerry who hunts either Wed down into an alleyway and turns him into a vampire. And then Ed, as a vampire, goes and visits Peter Vincent. He says, oh, Pete, you've got to let me in. There's a vampire outside. And he lets him in. And then he finds out that Ed has been turned into a vampire. You get a really good, um, some really good prosthetic special effects here of Ed as a vampire. And he plays it really well. And he says, there's nothing you're going to do about it. And then Peter Vincent comes out of a cross and he puts it onto his face. And then the cross burns. And then whilst all this is happening, Jerry chases Amy and Charlie into a nightclub. You get a really cool nightclub scene here where um, Charlie gets split up from Amy and then Jerry's got like a dance sequence. Kind of like, I suppose you could sort of say where he's sort of seducing her a little bit here with his vampire charms. <laughs> and he makes, a, he makes a jumpers look pretty cool in this scene when he's dancing around it. It's really good. And is it 80s? Yeah, you bet your life it is. It's really iconic. With that, I think it's um, Come To Me, the song or something like that. It's a really good song when I was talking about the soundtrack earlier on. And then Charlie, I mean, you've got to give him credit. He really does step it up. He goes up to Jerry and he goes, that's my girlfriend and I'm going to take you on. He goes to punch Jerry and then Jerry takes his hand. He says, I don't want to kill you, Charlie. He says, I want you and Peter to come around my house. Just the two of you tonight. And this kind of sets up like the sort of final scene, the final sort of showdown. So then uh, Jerry goes out of the club and a couple of bouncers turn up and say, yeah, what's going on? And then Jerry sort of uh, rips out the freights of the bouncers. And then he escapes into a car with, I think it's Billy Cole waiting for him outside. And then they drive off. And again, this happens again. It's probably about the fourth time. Poor old Charlie's there with someone driving off in a car. And then there's Evil Ed hanging out the back going, <laughs> and I think I don't know if he says you're so cool, Brewster, or something like that at this time, but um, yeah, it's pretty cool. So Jerry goes to Peter Vincent's house, he knocks on the door, but then at this time you think Peter's going, I don't know if you're a vampire because Ed's just been here and he's tried to kill me. So then he gets um, Charlie to hold across, he says, look, I'm not a vampire. And then he says to Pete, he says, look, Pete, you've got to help me out. He says, you're my only hope. I've got no one else I can go to. And then Pete says, look, I'm, I'm only an actor. I'm, I'm not up for this. He goes, I'm pretty scared about it. And then Charlie goes, but you're the great vampire killer. And then at this point, it's a really cool scene because uh, Peter Vincent goes, you really believe that I'm a vampire killer, don't you? And he says, yeah, yeah, you are. He said, you're my only hope. And this is just where, this is where I was talking about the characterization of Peter Vincent. This is where he becomes his own and he holds his own. And it's almost like he there, he now goes into character to help him out. And he goes, right, I am Peter Vincent, the great vampire hunter. And he opens up the box and he's got all the guns and everything. And now this is a really cool scene of the film. It just ramps it right up. They now go on a quest to go and save the day. And there's some really cool set designs here where it's at night time and there's like fog or smoke surrounded by the house. There's a real sort of hammer horror vibe to it as they're approaching the house and they've got a cross and they walk into Jerry Dandridge's, Dandridge's house and this is a great iconic scene 
where Derek, Jerry Dandridge walks out and his long vampire now is just skimming across the woodwork and he comes out and goes, Welcome to Fright Night, for real. And then Peter Vincent pulls out a cross and then Jerry just starts laughing. He says, you got to have faith for that to work on me, Mr. Vincent, like that. And then Pete just goes, he just brings on that faith and then he just puts that cross to him and, he, and then he walks towards him and then um, Jerry starts to sort of pull back and he starts to scream. And then Charlie goes, we're going to make this. And then Betty Cole comes out and then he knocks Charlie unconscious and then Peter Vincent manages to escape I need to go into Charlie's house next door and then be confronted by Ed, who has now turned into a werewolf. And then Pete retaliates against um, Ed and chucks a stake straight through his heart and kills him, or supposedly kills him. And then he escapes next door to try and rescue um, Charlie and Amy. And then during this time, Charlie is, because he's unconscious, he's put into the room with Amy, who's now been turned into a vampire. And then Charlie wakes up and he just shouts out, no! And then she's got this really horrible sort of face on her, which is the front cover of the Fright Night VHS or poster. But Peter Vincent comes to the rescue. He manages to save Charlie. And now they're confronted by Betty Cole, who's turned into some sort of fiend of the undead. And then Peter Vincent shoots him a couple of times and then he just turns into this sort of horrible green gooey monster which is a pretty cool special effect and now Peter Vincent with uh, some restored faith with the cross he then takes on Jerry and he starts moving him towards the window where the sun is just about to rise but then Jerry turns into a vampire bat and then he manages to escape into the basement and before they can put a stake into Jerry's heart whilst he's sleeping in the coffin, this is where Amy turns up as, as now a vampire and she fights with Charlie. And then Jerry turns into a vampire bat, which is the bat which I was talking about at the beginning, which was originally used for Ghostbusters. And he's flying around the room, so they've got this sort of final fight. And the thing I need to mention here as well is that with all the trolls that they went through earlier, they realise that if they kill... Jerry Dandridge, they believe that they can return Amy back to being a human. So they break the windows, they allow the sunlight to come in and it burns Jerry and then he just goes up into a huge ball of flames and there's like a huge explosion and everything blows up. And they defeat Jerry and Amy goes back to being a human again and um, they manage to save the day. And then a few nights later... Um, Charlie is having a nice night in with Amy and they're watching Fright Night together and then Peter Vincent comes onto the TV and he says, I'm going to have a little break from vampires and he goes, right Charlie? And he says, tonight we've got Octo Man. <laughs> He's got these like, octopus men running about on the TV. Charlie turns the TV off and then just by the side of his eye he looks across to uh, Jerry Dandridge's old house and he thought he could see a pair of like red eyes. And he goes to look out the window and Amy goes, is everything all right, Charlie? And he, says, he just goes, yeah, everything's fine. And he goes, goes back. And then for the closing credits, it just pans back to Jerry's house. And then you've got Evil Red's eyes and he goes, <laughs> oh, you're so cool, Brewster. And then that's it. And then that's when you've got the closing credits to that fantastic Jill Joel's band song, Fright Night. And that's it, guys. That's the closing credits to this fantastic movie. 
I hope you enjoyed that review. And as I said, I'm sure you guys that are listening to this show, I'm sure you're aware of the Fright Night movie. If you just happen not to be, and this is the first time you've listened to this episode and you've not watched Fright Night, go check it out. And if you're going to watch it, I recommend it as a late night watch. It's certainly one of those films where you want it to be dark room, maybe a couple candles, some beer or some wine and some munchies, and you will just thoroughly enjoy this film. And if you have seen it, I've seen it loads of times. Every time I watch it, I love it. So um, it's definitely a go-to horror movie. So um, as you can probably hear in my voice, I absolutely love this film. So there you go, guys. That is Fright Night from 1985. So just about to uh, wrap the show up, guys. Hope you enjoyed it. I will be back soon. But before I close the show, a little bit of admin. I am a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network. So um, go and check out all the other shows there. I'll play a promo at the end of the show. And um, you can find Bite Size Cinema on YouTube and iTunes. And I think there's a few other players out there. If you just punch it into Google. And um, got a Facebook page, so post anything on there. If there's any films you want me to check out, put them on there. I'm all down for recommendations because, as you know, I make it up as I go along. And I will be back soon um, for one of my favourite films from the 70s growing up in its Bugsy Malone the musical comedy the one-off I will go into all that um, soon so look out for that episode so that's it guys Um, keep it bite-sized keep it safe and I will see you soon oh and look out for the next door neighbours take care guys show then make sure you check out the other great shows on the legion podcast network like cinema psyops cinema beef devour the podcast duncan and Bo come correct exploding heads horror movie podcast friday the 13th get slayed the hell Ming power hour hello this is the doom show hero hero ghost show kill the cast underwater kaiju from outer space jerry hates action legion after dark metal health obsessive cinema discourse Pick Six Movies, The Podcast by the Cemetery, The Podcast on Haunted Hill, The Psycho-Semantic Podcast, Rick Radio, House of Wax, Dude Looks Like the 80s, Rabbit and Red Radio, The Shadecast, Short Bus Cinema, Two Drink Minimum Commentaries, The VD Clinic, Who Will Survive Horror Podcast, and Which Versus the Doomsday Clock. With such a widespread of shows, there is guaranteed to be a niche for you to fall in love with. Horror, politics, movies, books, sex, music, commentaries, health, video games, kaiju, action, news, comedy, and opinions that would most likely get you killed in some parts of the world. We are proud to bring you some of the best podcasting in the world. Check us out at www.legionpodcast.com, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, and any other dark corner of the internet where podcasts can be found.